When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. And I'm your other host, Nikki Bumfinger. <laughs> Nikki the Bumfinger. Mike, go ahead and say hi. Hey. It's Mike from Armor Party. <laughs> and my voice is the reason why you don't have a new episode of Armor Party yet, because I sound terrible. I think you sound great. I'm going to need you to talk less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on, I'm on day seven of whatever I caught from my five-year-old. So uh, if you guys need me to say anything, like, uh, I'm vengeance, I can do that. I can do that right now really well. So, Did you catch the same thing in your whole body that Nick caught in his finger? Nicky bum finger? <laughs> my whole thing, my whole body is Nick's finger. <laughs> Nick, tell us why that's your name this week. Well, I want you to picture your sunglasses sitting on the passenger seat of your car and it's sunny out and you're like, wow, I could really use those sunglasses that are sitting on the seat, the passenger seat of my car right now. And then you go with a very normal velocity to pick up said sunglasses and you jam your finger on your car seat (laughs) and then your finger, your middle finger on your right hand kind of just hangs there. Doesn't hurt, doesn't get swollen, just hangs there, can't move it. And then you go to urgent care and they tell you you have something called mallet finger and you uh, hyperextended a tendon in your finger and it no longer works for the next six to eight weeks. So I go on tour in six weeks and uh, my finger is annoying. It doesn't hurt. I wish it hurt because it would make more sense. It just doesn't work. So uh, welcome to hell. In theory, though, that's your right hand and it's your middle finger, right? Yeah, I've already like picked up a bass and been like, all right, I won't be playing well, but I could play. Yeah. And hopefully in six weeks. Honestly, I'm going to try and just be superhuman and be healed by celebration because I don't, I'm an absolute child with inconvenience. And this is very (laughs) inconvenient. Probably anytime anyone asks me a question in the next six weeks, I'm going to start off with a story about my finger. (laughs) I'm basically dying. (laughs) should probably hit the mod parlor. Honestly, yeah. just swap it out. <laughs> yeah, I would I would for sure spend thousands of dollars right now if they're like, well, you could get surgery, but it's not going to be out of pocket. I'd be like, yeah, sure. I don't care. I don't need to buy a house. Let's just do this. <laughs> I, need, I need my finger back. <laughs> Thundercat is going to give you one new finger. <laughs> Un finger. That's fine. Well, uh, we're, uh, we're down an OG member of the podcast. Ryan, once again, has stuff. He was on this podcast for a minute, actually, but just, uh, you know, it just... He had to go. Things didn't work out. But we have a guest, in addition to Mike, backup host Mike. We have Justin Sonfield, who is... uh, Well, say hello first, and then I'll introduce you. Hello there. Well done. Justin is the the recently elected, distinguished Legion commanding officer of the 501st Legion, the costuming group, famous in Star Wars. Congratulations, man. 
Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure to serve the entire Legion. Have you ever uh, been elected anything before? Is this your first uh, victory in an election? I mean, I think I came in second place for like senior president, class president. And ah. that was like second place. I lost. This is a glow up for sure. <laughs> Total glow up. And I voted for you too, Justin. So I'll just get that out of the way. That's Mike, probably the I reason I really you appreciate won. that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, I got you. I appreciate that. So give the listeners some context, Mike or Justin, either one about the 501st Legion. We've talked about it before. You know, Mike, you being a member, you could vote. I didn't even realize this was a thing. Mm-hmm. Just tell the folks what this really means. Oh, Justin, you're the guy for sure. You're the guest. Oh, I'm the guy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the 501st Legion is an international Star Wars costuming club. And we have the great fortune of having uh, the ability to often troop on behalf of Lucasfilm in different locations, which is really, really nice. But it's just an incredible club uh, where people... Two requirements. Uh, you have to be 18 years of age, of age and build a movie-accurate Star Wars costume, uh, of which we have a costume reference library for. And once you've made that costume, you begin trooping. And the best part about it is we just put smiles on people's faces, young and old, and then by doing so, raise a good amount of money for charity. So just a really nice thing to be a part of. And uh, it's bringing Star Wars and putting it into real life for a lot of people that don't otherwise get that. Amazing. I, I knew about the 501st, the 501st years ago, but didn't really understand truly the the larger impact that it makes. You know, the fact that it's a, a nonprofit and it's really about community and just like you said, putting smiles on faces. I thought it was just a sick club to be in you know, for, <laughs> for Star Wars fans who want to make costumes. Of course it is, but it's so much more than that. That, I think, if nothing else, is something great to tell your spouse when you want to drop a bunch of money on a costume. <laughs> exactly. Or you just get your spouse involved. Yeah. And Justin or that. Well, that, ha- that happened. I was very, very <laughs> lucky with that. My wife, my wife is actually more into it than I am. She is an incredible Amazing. costume. That's great. So as Legion Commanding Officer, what are your responsibilities? What, is, what does this entail? Honestly, it, it's uh, just keeping the organization going doesn't really have much pomp and circumstance beyond just making sure that we are consistently adding new costumes, that we are adding new members, that we are spreading that Star Wars love across the world. And that's really about it. We get the pleasure of throwing this wonderful, or at least our part of this wonderful party every couple of years uh, called Star Wars Celebration, which we're all really looking forward to. So we have a presence there and we invite everyone to come by, take a look in the costumes, and if you like what you see, think about how you could become a member. So that is well done with the segue. Uh, that's kind of <laughs> why you're here, because we're ramping up for celebration. We talked about it a bit last week. And the 501st presence, like you said, is significant, even for folks who have no idea what the costuming club actually is. You know, a lot of people probably show up to cons for the first time and just think, holy shit, like this, this bad, no expense on this thing, you know, but it's actually a bunch of volunteers and hobbyists and people who are stoked that get together and manifest this larger presence that isn't, you know, it's not commissioned by Lucasfilm. It's, it's nothing that official, but it makes the whole thing look so much bigger, every single con. So let's talk a little bit about celebration and what is official, like, on, you know, on, on your end of it in terms of organizing and what what you typically do at a con like celebration 
Well, on the 501st side, I mean, we have a booth that's in a, an area with uh, many of the other sister and brother costuming clubs that we have. And honestly, it's it's just going around and again, doing what we do, putting smiles on faces, really facilitating the environment there. And, and there's a parade usually that, that we will all partake in and, and, you know, line up by costume and parade around the venue and let everybody take a look at what we do and really just drive awareness to the cause. But, you know, other than that, it's it's really just being a mega fan at this wonderful thing that they, they provide for us every couple of years. Just really well-dressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've worn some costumes in my days. The last celebration that I was at in 2019, I had kind of a cobbled-together Jedi costume, but I've never built armor myself. Um, I've half finished one helmet that another friend printed. So I haven't gone that in depth, but I've done it to some degree. Nick and Ryan had never cosplayed at all until the star cruiser trip. So, I mean, Nick, if you have anything to say about like the, what it's like to cosplay for the first time, go ahead and speak up. But, um, kind of, I want to talk a little bit about what attracts people. What's so magnetic about star Wars costumes specifically and how that changes the experience. So, Nick, maybe talk a little bit if you want to. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I had never considered costuming at all. And I said this on last week's episode, but I would say amongst the top things that I loved doing and the thing that provided me with so much joy at Celebration 2019 was taking pictures with the cosplayers. So I really do think that that was the first time where I was like, this is cool. This is awesome. You know, like I, I really do appreciate that people came dressed up. And then I think with, you know, with Armor Party and and having Mike kind of show his passion for it and me just, you know, making friends with other people who costume and put together costumes, you just kind of get the sense that it brings joy to people who make these things. And it's really hard. It's very infectious, I guess, is the best way to, to put it. People who are super into costuming and creating these things really almost without trying to talk you into it, talk you into being or wanting to costume basically because it's so awesome. And then just that idea of me taking pictures with cosplayers at celebration made me say, you know, what would be really cool next celebration if people want to take pictures with me. So, um, <laughs> it just became this cool, this little circle. And Nick, Nick I can tell you, that's exactly what happened with me is that my wife and I went to Celebration Orlando in 2017 mm-hmm. and we did the same thing. We walked around and saw all these amazing costumers and having really a, a singular great time together showing their latest. And, you know, Rogue One was the latest movie at that point. So there was a lot of, you know, death troopers and short troopers and costumes you hadn't seen in public before. And it got us super jazzed and we went home and it just immediately just started taking off and, and trying to pick our first costumes to join the club. So celebration mm-hmm. is definitely where you go to do that. Yeah. And it just, you know, I guess it never occurred to me until like our mutual friend, Jillian, uh, Justin, yeah. when I hung out with her last September, I want to say, she was like, no, you have to do something for celebration. You have to. And I was, it was peer pressured, but it's not like it wasn't in the back of my mind to begin with. It was just more about, I know that Probably, I don't know, maybe you could uh, agree or disagree with this, but a majority of cosplayers probably make their own stuff. Would you think that that's accurate? 
I think it's becoming more and more all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Mandalorian was really the turning point for folks to stop buying pressed armor or, or you know, ABS fabricated mm-hmm. armor and really start 3D printing. Yeah. So there was a point in time where the Creality user group on Facebook all of a sudden became the Mandalorian helmet printing hmm. group, you know, it seemed like, because people were really starting to take on the idea of 3D printing and finishing their costumes. So now it really is becoming anybody can be a maker as well as a costume. Yeah. So I guess that's what, you know, like I'm not the most hands-on kind of person. So I just feel like cosplaying something very screen accurate was like, I don't know that I have the patience to do that. Talent is one thing you, you know, you could mess up and get better at things. But I was just like, I don't know that I have the time and patience to do this. That's not really within my personality. But once I met some more people who put together these things, I'm like, all right, that's a little bit more my, my angle into it. If someone could kind of just measure me and, and kind of help suit me up, then I think that's my way in, which is exactly what happened. So now I'm super into it. You know, like I I really do think that before the pandemic, I was kind of starting to put together some decent like Disney bound ideas for for Galaxy's Edge, which never really came to fruition because of the pandemic. But uh, I think I did both cosplay and bounding while we were on the Star Cruiser. And that was the first time I did either of those properly. And now I'm I, I, I guess I could say I'm hooked, at least with bounding. I feel like bounding is a little bit more for me, within reach of putting together something, I guess, more stylish, I would say. There's something about breaking the seal with that first one. Mm -hmm. It's like getting tattoos. You know what I mean? You just, you can't get a tattoo. You want more. You have all these ideas all of a sudden. And Mike has been really motivating and, and influential on us, like you mentioned. And the Star Cruiser trip really just kicked it off because you start to realize that Star Wars is special in a way it's different from something like the MCU or, you know, just the the larger Marvel universe, including comics and everything where you're not just making a replica of a specific character, but you you can create a bound look, like you said, or just like fully fabricate a character from scratch that is entirely your own, that can live in that universe. And that elevates the experience in a way that I don't think a lot of other fandoms have. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you could be any random Star Trek officer, but you're still just wearing a Star Trek uniform. I guess you could, I guess Lord of the Rings and fantasy stuff like that kind of has a similar thing. You could be any generic wizard or something, but mm-hmm. there's something special about Star Wars. Well, especially for the 501st too, right? Because yeah. you can have the option of wearing a incredibly identifiable bad guy costume, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, you know, you could be like, oh, I'm one of the Hydra agents from the first Captain America. And, and people are right. like, what? Nerd. Yeah, but you could, but like literally the most, the most worn costume in the entire 501st Legion is your standard stormtrooper, which is arguably probably the most iconic silhouette bad guy next to Darth Vader himself. It's funny. I looked it up today. There was over 5,500 of them in our Mm -hmm. Legion. Whoa. So, and that's, that's what's cool because like, then you put that helmet on and it's like, you don't have to look like Chris Evans. You don't have to look like any of the beautiful people they cast in the MCU to wear a cool costume and people look and go, eh, you know, you, you'd look cooler if you were six, seven and look like Chris Emsworth uh, <laughs> with your, with your Thor costume. But I think what's rad about it is because so many of us wear helmets, you know, you get to kind of, 
disappear into the, you know, just being an anonymous Star Wars character that's still so identifiable. Unfortunately, we we all only look like the third Hemsworth brother. <laughs> yeah. What's his name? <laughs> Todd. Dion. Glenn. Dion Hemsworth. <laughs> the point you brought up, Mike, about being able to kind of disappear into the costume. I mean, it's obviously, you have so many more options within Star Wars to do that than I think in some other fandoms, all these different kinds of helmets and things you can wear. I can't imagine wearing like an anime costume with like a foam hairdo, you know, and being able to, I don't know, I'm not into anime, so this is probably totally wrong. If I was, I'd be able to immerse myself, but I just, it just, it seems different, you know, it just seems more special with Star Wars. And of course, again, there's a bias because we're all obsessed with Star Wars, but am I making this up? Do I have too much bias? What do you guys think? No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, the universe and this is, you know, you, you guys have talked about a lot in the last couple of weeks about Star Cruiser and about this ability to create your own character and live in this universe as kind of yourself. You know, it is it is truly a an amazing lore that's over 40 years old. It has this, this great encyclopedia of characters to choose from. And it's it's just really awesome being able to kind of live with them and, and portray them. So suppose we want to do this. Suppose any one of us or anyone listening wants to create or purchase and, um, you know, finish an official 501st approved costume. That's a loaded question. (laughs) Either tell us uh, what it would take and what's like the the lowest barrier to entry and or pitch us, get get us on board or get uh, a listener on board to actually go for it and do it, even if they don't think they could. Well, I'll let I'll let Justin go first because he's he's got the he's got the pitch. Yes. Yeah. Go definitely go ahead. I want to hear your pitch because I pretty much am just going to follow whatever you're going to say. <laughs> okay. So the lowest barrier for entry is is really a, a Tie Fighter Reserve pilot, and that is the undersuit of a, a a New Hope Tie Fighter pilot or original trilogy Tie Fighter pilot, and that for the most part requires you to buy some jack boots. Uh, a couple of code cylinders, a black flight suit from any of the really well-known makers that are out there that that there's a vast majority of choices and put it together and then go to uh, 501st.com and look for the costume reference library database where you can find that costume amongst many others if you decide to choose to not go to the easiest barrier of entry. That's where I would start. Bottom line is going to 501st.com going through the costume reference library, finding a costume of a character that you've related to in the past. Maybe it's a clone trooper, maybe it's a stormtrooper, uh, which is, of course, the largest costume. But And then once you find that, you'll start seeing all of the requirements that you need to do to put together that costume. Uh, there are so many build groups either on our forums, on the detachment forums, detachments are the different subgroups in the 501st that, that handle a different set of characters. You could go there and research, build threads on how to build the costumes. Once you do that, you will contact your local chapter of the 501st. For us in the Northeast in New Jersey, it's the Northeast Remnant. And uh, sign up to their forums, introduce yourself to the Garrison Membership Liaison, submit pictures for your costume, and then hopefully hear back feedback where you will... Uh, be told whether you're good to go or if you need to make some minor adjustments. And then once you're approved, you are in the club and ready to start trooping. And then once you're ready to start trooping, that means any event, you know, anytime there's a call for XYZ characters, you say, hey, yeah, I can do that. And then you get picked potentially or 
or you just uh, tell people that you're in the club and just brag about it. Most <laughs> most events have a sign up list, and you just you do and you know in good order, you just get up on the forums and sign up, and then you are trooping, you are raising money for charity, you're putting smiles on people's faces, and it's a beautiful thing. And you're a Star War. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Mike. You want to add anything to that? You just want to repeat everything. You just want to retweet everything Justin just said. <laughs> I mean, that that was pretty good. I'll, I'll be honest. Quote, quote, tweet him at least. Come on. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, no, I, I think, I mean, that's that's exactly right. That process is, um, you know, if we, I, I'm assuming most of the Thank the Maker listeners are in the States. And the good thing about wherever you're listening from is that most of the states are kind of broken out into territories or regions. So some of the states with a little bit smaller memberships will be combined uh, with a few other states to kind of be what's what's called like a you know region or a garrison. And so if you're if you live in Vermont, you're actually still part of your your you have a different subgroup, but um, you're part of a, a bigger garrison, right? So most of the states at this point have their own garrisons. And what's really nice about that is you're able to connect with people locally. And the biggest part when anyone buys a costume, especially when you start cutting up armor and and you'll buy a you know an armor kit from someone and you get it and you open it up and you're like, I'm completely overwhelmed. <laughs> I, I don't know if I bought all the stuff, right? I don't know if I bought the right tools, the sharpest scissors, whatever. Um, and and the point of the local armor parties or uh, connecting with someone locally, if you're not like a, you know, scroll through the internet and do and research for hours, um, those are really important for you to grow those connections because as you start wearing this costume and eventually once you get into the 501st Legion, these are like your brothers and sisters that do all this craziness with you. And what's really cool about Celebration, which is a little point that I'm kind of adding as a curtail to this, is that so many of us in the 501st have made incredible connections and incredible friendships via this massive message board and research library that we have. And so Celebration is really cool because we'll be connecting with people all over the globe that have been spending countless hours doing research on these costumes. And then celebration, everyone meets up. And you get to put a face to the name. You know, you get to look over and say, oh, man, it's, you know, Biker Scout 007. Hey, Mickey, what's up, man? And you're you're meeting people in person. So, like, kind of some of the vibes that we felt on Star Cruiser, we get to experience in the costuming community, too, that whole, like, I've known you via your display name for however long. It's like having a huge meetup every celebration, which is awesome. And it's great to see so many people travel so far, of course, with their costumes. So if you are into camaraderie, you are into all the awesome things that Justin talked about, it really is enhances your Star Wars experience as a fan. It is the, in my opinion, pinnacle of being a fan because you become part of Star Wars. That's perfect. And I will add to that, that no one ever told you this, but you get this family immediately, you know, and through the pandemic, you know, most of our time we spent talking to people was in Zoom chats and like virtual armor parties when we were all in lockdown. It, it is amazing, this community. And and again, it, it Mike's right. It's, you know, we saw it in the Star Cruiser, you know, where you just have this immediate kinship with the people that are dressed up on that ship. You know, the celebration is the exact same. So those of you that have not gone to celebration, but maybe have gone on the Star Cruiser, get ready. You're about to have it in 
the exact same amount of doses, same amount of rush to the head, same amount of amazing feeling that you had, because this is, you know, just an amazing community that we all really get to interact together, meet each other and, and play in. It's just a neat gift. It's a really neat gift. I've been to one armor party myself, producer Kurt. He knew some local folks and neither of us really had anything to work on, but we just wanted to go and hang. And it was so awesome to watch a house full of people. It was, you know, in some guy's basement out in the county here in St. Louis to watch, you know, half a dozen people around a table helping one person with their stormtrooper armor kit. Like, okay, let's cut this thing. Let's size it up. And everyone was there just to hang and help. You know, it wasn't about anyone trying to, you know, show off their armor and, you know, everyone was on the same level. Everyone was there for the same reason. And it was so dope. Again, I didn't have anything to work on. So I just kind of hung out and checked out props and, and just watched. But it gave me such a, a clear idea of what this community was about just from that, you know, two hours that I was there. So that was amazing. And then I, I hear, and I, and I kind of saw this a little bit at Celebration 2019, that there's typically like, whether it's at a booth or in someone's hotel room, you know, at an attached hotel to the convention center, folks with every tool that you could possibly need to fix your costume, because every costume is going to at some point break and, you mm-hmm. know, you're, you're walking the floors, shit's going to happen. And the way people just have each other's back there is another just amazing display of the camaraderie and the family and the, the community vibe. So it's inspiring for sure. That was the one thing I learned. So my, like I've been repeating, my first cosplay was going to Star Cruiser. And all I packed when we, when I flew to Orlando was like three days worth of clothes and my Mandalorian commando armor. I had one little like kind of chip on the back plate and uh, Austin and Meredith, who are friends with Sarah and Mike, were like, yeah, we have a whole repair kit with us. This is like normal. And I was like, oh, that's normal to, that things break? They're like, yeah. I'm like, sorry, first time we're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I should also mention, and you'll probably uh, echo this and then give us the list of other examples. I found out from hanging out with Kurt and watching him build his Boba Fett costume that that's definitely not the entry point. That's definitely not the, uh, you know, <laughs> the getting started costume unless you're just, you know, a glutton for punishment. Because not only is it a massive undertaking to get the paint right, and there's just so many damn parts and everything, but so much stuff breaks on a costume like Boba Fett. So what else would be like maybe something to uh, recommend against starting with? And then also let's talk about what costumes are under the 501st umbrella and which ones aren't, and maybe what costuming clubs deal with the others in terms of certification and stuff. So yes, Boba Fett is one of the hardest costumes and most expensive costumes to finish, just because there are just so many different types of parts that were found and used on that original costume. So nowadays you can get you know some resin duplicates of some of those parts, and it's a little easier, but it is it is that one of the highest level costumes there is to to create and not the best place to start off or else it's going to be fairly frustrating but the 501st is is in charge of the bad guys uh, it's it's that simple so generally uh the folks of nefarious nature that that have dealt with the uh empire the first order the bounty hunters uh the underworld those are generally who you find in the 501st and all of their associates uh, recently we have expanded some of the availability inside the 501st to include a lot more of those underworld type characters, kind of the gray area people. So we're looking forward to seeing a lot of CRLs created in in the uh, Denizen group and then the 
underworld group, but but for the most part, that's where the line is drawn. So the next uh, biggest club is the Rebel Legion, and the Rebel Legion is basically the good guys. So if you wanted to do Chewbacca, if you wanted to do C-3PO, Han Solo, any of the face characters, Han, Leia, Luke, uh, that is for the most part where you will find those characters located. They are separate organizations, completely separate organizations. And depending on where you live, sometimes that that organization and the 501st are very, very close to each other, um, troop the same cons, maybe even share their same message boards. And that's great. But in some places, they are very, very diverse. So, you know, just be prepared that if you are trying to do one of the good guys, you'll definitely be going to the Rebel Legion side, but you may find that the, the two groups are separate. It just depends on where you live and how how intertwined they are. Then you have the Mando Mercs, and the Mando Mercs are a club that is is really embraced the individuality and creating your own adventure and creating your own costume kind of since the beginning. They have an incredible palette of make your own Mandalorian. And we've seen so many amazing examples of folks online that have been doing that. Mike and I talked a lot about them when we were on Armor Party, and they're just so many amazingly creative people making the most amazing Mandalorian costumes you've ever seen. But they also take the face character Mandalorians like Bo and Boba and Din Djarin as well. Those are the biggest ones. Then you've got uh, Dark Empires out there. Uh, Droid Builders. Uh, Droid Builders is a separate organization that if you are into building a life-size R2-D2 or any droid that has lived in the Star Wars universe, you can find your family there. And by the way, the barrier to entry on that one is usually the mouse droid. Uh, That's the easiest one to make over there, which is kind of cool. But yeah, that's that's how those groups uh, pretty much line up. And again, everywhere you are, there could be local uh, smaller groups that, that you could find and that are truly appreciated at other cons. But those are the biggest ones and the ones that I know I'm affiliated with and I know Mike as well. My biggest question with, I was listening to everything, but immediately I was like, is there anyone and is it frowned upon to be in both the Rebel Legion and the 501st? Is that possible? It is, of course, not frowned upon. Okay, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> Justin approved me to be in the Rebel Legion. Oh, so there are there are costumes that are triple approved. So uh, my Mandalorian uh, Din Djarin is actually approved in the Mando Mercs Five Hundred First and Rebel Legion because it's again he's one of those grayer characters. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we all thought he was going to just be this cold blooded bounty hunter, but it turns out he was a little father. That's how mm-hmm. that rolls. So the majority of the canon Mandalorians Clone Wars era, more than anything, right, are covered by. The Mandalorian Mercs in terms of certification? And the 501st, yes. Okay, so all those are 501st as well. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. The the way that the process works for approving to be in a club is a little bit different between the clubs because uh, Rebel Legion kind of works more on a, I don't want to say a looser checklist, but more of a visual checklist. Mm-hmm. And so you send in your pictures and versus kind of going down a checklist of boom, 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 boom. They have a visual reference that they're looking at, but they're you're also assigned approval through someone else who's also built that costume. So it makes it kind of, you know, you have two people who've built the same costume. It makes it so that you're kind of speaking the same language versus the 501st garrison member liaisons uh, are responsible for 
every costume that comes in the door. So it's a pretty tricky thing to be a 501st member liaison because in some ways you have to really start to learn all of the costumes because you never know if you're going to have a member out of right field that's going to go, hey, I'm submitting my Cad Bane, you know, season seven kit or my Cad Bane, you know, Bad Batch kit. Um, And then you could have someone that comes in and goes, hey, I want to do a command staff trooper from, you know, this little you know, Rebels episode. Um, so there's a little bit of a difference, but Justin was actually the guy who approved me in my double club, Rebel Legion and 501st Dinjar and Beskarv. So I didn't even know that until I saw his signature on his email. And I was like, hey, I know that guy. <laughs> it gets more complicated than that. You know, so if there are times where a person will want to do a new to Legion costume. So the detachments are there in the 501st Legion to really help guide those that want to do a new to Legion costume. So, for example, at some point, someone was the first to make Cantina patron. I forget the name of it, but, you know, one of the Cantina patrons. So, you know, the detachment helped get the CRL put together, written, photographed, and, you know, all of a sudden, then we have a new character added to our roster. So that happens all the time. It's happening more and more with the, uh, I think we added 30 plus new costumes last year. So, you know, it's not only what's in the CRL library, it is also an ability for a member or sorry, a non-member even uh, to create a new costume and just bring all the references and work with our detachments and then the Legion, Legion membership officers to get the CRL written and approved. And I've been fortunate enough to have, I've got one new to Legion costume, which was uh, the Dinjar in disguise, the iCat trooper, where there was the green tank trooper from that one episode. And then my mm, wife yeah, yeah. has a, a new to Legion costume. She was the first to do the Kira Crimson Dawn costume, which was really fun. Whoa. So what does CRL stand for for everyone? Costume Reference Library. So two questions on that. One I imagine as new information comes in, as new photos come in, you know, say a costume is on display somewhere and, you know, something that's been in the archives forever and you finally get better photos of it and you realize something that you've been referencing for years is maybe totally inaccurate or, you know, you you tweak it slightly and you update the CRL. What then happens to everyone who's been approved, you know, the couple thousand people that are out there on, you know, X type of stormtrooper or whatever? Is there any kind of like grandfathered thing or how do you navigate that? Yes, there is exactly a grandfathered thing. So if, if there are new details that come, and, and I will say this, we try to get it as accurate as possible. And now thanks to 4K and TV and all that stuff that you can you know play over and over and over again, the accuracy is getting closer and closer on the first go. But yes, a costume can be grandfathered in if new details present themselves. Now, I would imagine with now with iPhones for the past few years having LiDAR and apps like Polycam, there are people walking up to costumes on display and doing full-blown 3D scans of things. So the, the amount of information and the accuracy now is on a whole other level compared to even five years ago, right? It's insane. <laughs> I mean, it's totally insane. And, and 3D printing, again, really has opened this door even further. And, you know, where even even where... You know, it was a culture that was built on vacuum-forming ABS plastic, right? All those stormtroopers were all vacuum-formed ABS plastic. And this 3D printing, the details that are coming out are just so much sharper and just so much clearer, making a much better result. So, you know, and, and again, the, anybody can own a 3D printer at this point. So putting that into everybody's hands has, has been a real good building platform for the for the groups. 
and and as we've all found that have gone on, you know, the Star Cruiser or or bounding in the parks, you know, the ability to create little, little greedlies for your belt, for your bag, for your chest pieces, you know, it's it's just been so much fun to be able to you know create new things. So yeah, the platform is wide open now. You know what I would encourage everyone to do too, if you are interested in seeing how new costumes kind of come to life, it is such a treat to see the talent that exists in this community because there are people who actually own special effects shops that are in the Legion. There are people who work in Hollywood cinema that are in the Legion. There are people who uh, are just hobbyists that literally are are modelers and they're part-time. I'm in, and I always try to join the build groups. And this is a reference to Facebook, and I know it's kind of a pain because um, Facebook has kind of turned into this like faster version of when we're updating information on the message boards for 501st. So I'm in the Cad Bane build group right now, and this is from Book of Boba Fett. And I'm watching these guys make, they look at, you know, Dorian Kingy, who's the, I think that's how you pronounce his name, but he's, you know, like six, six or something like that. Real tall, skinny dude. And they're measuring all of the references of like how tall he actually is. So they're like, you know, his fingers must be nine inches long, which means that the little belt buckle on his, by the side of his hand must be approximately four and a half inches tall. So they're almost like reverse engineering it based on just the little information that we know. And then they're finding all the parts like the, uh, the, the, the two tubes that stick out the side of his mouth are a literally like a breathing, what's, what are they called? CPAP machines? Mm. Oh yeah. 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 So literally they found someone found the source of those breathing tubes that stick out the side of his mouth. And then God, I love that kind of stuff. It's, it's amazing. And, and it's really cool because for some of the costume designers are in these groups and like legally they can't really give us too much, but occasionally they'll just like one of the posts and it's like, okay, we're on the right track here. And it's like, a, yeah. it's like a treasure hunt. It's truly incredible. Yeah. And, and I would encourage everyone to join some of those groups, even if you're not planning on, you know, me, all of five, eight on a good day, I'm not going to be Cad Bane. I can say that, <laughs> but, um, it's, it's really just cool and, and awesome to watch these, these new costumes kind of get broken down and dissolved and really deconstructed. Um, so I would encourage everyone, if you, you know, type in, you know, Night Owls build group, Boba Fett, Book of Boba Fett build group, Mandalorian season two build group on Facebook. And you can find a ton of these build groups that are literally being added to every single day. So definitely check that out. It's incredible to watch. I've paid so much attention the past several years to costuming and prop making, starting with probably the most mainstream entry point was Adam Savage's Tested, his podcast, his uh, YouTube channel. Like I've always been interested in behind the scenes stuff with movies and I've always been a maker on some level, but that really got me into the idea of just making a costume or a prop for the sake of making it to have made it. And then to be able to stand there and hold it, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I knew Adam Savage did all this stuff, but I was like, what does he do with those costumes? Do they just hang in a closet? What the hell? Mm-hmm. You know? And then I learned more about cons over years. Point being, I got really into it and didn't even begin to start building anything. I guess that, that cobbled together half-assed Jedi I made was the first thing that was a few years into following all these different makers on Instagram and getting into the, uh, the forums and the RPF and fabulous and all this kind of stuff. And it's 
again, just like Mike said, even if you don't make anything, it's so fun to watch and just listen to the conversations and see the, the, the work in progress photos. It's as entertaining as anything on YouTube to me. You know what I mean? It's great stuff. It's moving so fast these days as well. You yeah. know, I mean, from the episode where the iCat Trooper appeared, which was, you know, where Bill Burr and Ben went out and delivered that Rhydonium, we had the costume 3D printed for the most part by that weekend. Oh, my God. The weekend God. after it had come out and had a CRL written and in place um, about a month later. So by the middle of January, we were trooping with a, a brand new costume. And that all happened you know, between the detachment pages and the Facebook pages of everybody pooling their resources together, showing 10 different angles of something and, you know, getting finally getting, you know, paint colors to match. And it was it was pretty incredible watching the community come that quickly together to make something really cool. And as Mike's saying, these, you know, this Cad Bane group, you know, these are these are artists, you know, these are true artists that are making really, really complex things. And it's it's just it's just so neat to watch. You, he's right. Just totally tune into those groups because it's it's just like watching things getting created. I have two questions about accuracy. One, I don't think has a true answer, but I'm gonna ask the question anyway. Is the true color of a prop or a piece of a costume or this or that, it's on screen color? after color grading and everything, you know, the vision of the filmmaker, or is it, you guys are laughing already. Oh, they're laughing at you, Adam. They're laughing yeah. at you. Is, is, the, is, the, is Han's coat blue or is it brown? I mean, that's the famous, that's the famous debate, but it, it applies to everything because, you know, the director's vision. It's is, brown. You know, yeah. So, uh, I mean, and anything in Star Wars, typically, you know, the old stuff shot on film, it's got this like bluish green, tint to it that comes from the film stock so everything is off the snow is blue <laughs> in the dam in hoth you know so nothing is its truest color so what do you do about that the simplest the simplest answer to that is we try to go for as accurate as possible so when a prop has presented itself and it and it shows a color we go for that color but for the most part we try to do what's represented visually on screen so, you know, forever, there are plenty of folks with blue-tinted Han Solo Bespin jackets and blue-tinted, or blue, period, uh, Hoth jackets, you know. So that has been the case. But once the prop did reveal itself, we saw people making it, you know, appropriately. But, you know, the it's, it is it is a debate. There are many people that like it to be prop accurate, and there are many people that like it to be screen accurate. I, for one, favor screen accuracy because that's just the way it looks. Right. Um, but we will find different CRLs written different ways uh, when they know what it was meant to be. A funny little caveat and, and a, a really perfect example of this because I know that Justin, I have a shore trooper that I'm going to build this summer and Justin already has a shore trooper. But if you look on the blast shield of the of the shore trooper in Rogue One, they have this little, like this little circle with a little like cut out of it and mm -hmm. it's right up on the blast shield and for the longest time when we were building it we were watching the trailer for rogue one we all thought it was red everybody thought it was red and then it comes out in like one of the visual dictionaries and sure enough they show it and it's like it's got this orange color and it's like you know coastal defender stormtrooper or whatever you know they didn't officially like reference them as shore troopers in this one book that Star Wars officially published. And then so we all like 
gets us, we're spinning our heads. And then we go, finally, we're gracious enough to be able to get brought, that information was brought to Glenn Dillon, who is the original concept artist and like cost overall costume designer for the Shore Troopers. And he goes, yeah, that blast icon is indeed more of like a blood orange. It's actually closer to orange than it is to red. So all of us are like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I can't even, I can't even wear this thing. It's horrible. <laughs> but it, it just kind of goes to show you that like it's it's a collection of people who love down to those details of things, right? And and you know, it's a it's a simple little fix. It's you know, there have been bigger gaffes that we have found over time. Um, you know, the backs of the shore troopers, specifically the vents on the back, have changed a lot over time. Even just like the colors of the blue on the shoulder, you're referencing uh, an English paint availability because they made all of Rogue One and Solo. They made all that overseas. So there's a lot of colors that they bought and used overseas. They use a lot of auto paint over there for the the costumes. And, you know, we can't get Halford's paint here in the States. So we had to use Montana, which is a, a graffiti paint. We had to use like our equivalent of that. But then we found out that they actually had used some specific colors over there. So if you are a fan of details, this is 100% the club for you because we'll joke about this stuff all the time, but it goes down to, like you said, what, where, do, where do we draw the line as far as like accuracy goes? We're always going to go for what is the most accurate to best represent the original design decisions of the people who created them to bring them to screen. So it's, it's the best way that you can honor those designers who made the clearly iconic styles that we all as fans just soak up. So then how do you, th- there are definitely some um, judgment calls, like some arbitrary decisions made with things like certifying an animated character, right? Because there's only so much resolution, especially, you know, all, all the Star Wars stuff is CG, right? So the textures that they put on things, like it's, there's only so much detail. So there is a little bit of, there are judgment calls made on ev- every bit of detail. And then you have characters like Cad Bane, who's not just wearing a costume, he's a specific species and he has a specific dimensionality to his face. So how do you certify something like that? What, how much more difficult is it for an animated character? It's got to be a lot, right? Why was it so difficult for Lucasfilm to make it screen accurate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> what about that? Uh, one of the great things that they've done, and this is, I, I, I'll bet you it's Filoni that's really responsible for this is, you know, for the animated stuff, they've started putting out at Cosplay Central on StarWars.com, where you can go and find pretty much layouts, 360 degree views of the Bad Batch, the colors they use, some of the weathering. So that's become kind of a regular thing with the more animated stuff. But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, the decision on what is going to be what it's going to be is it's not made in a vacuum. You know, it's made on uh, a, a great group of folks that have really studied this stuff for a long period of time. There is sometimes, uh, you know, a judgment of ease of use, you know, the, the ability to, for people to be able to recreate it versus something that can't be created very easily. You know, we want we want people to become members. We want costumes to to make it through to the finish line. We don't want to sacrifice quality. We don't want to sacrifice, you know, being as authentic as we can to the original images on screen, whether it's books, whatever. But, you know, there there is a strong desire to make costumes. We want people to make costumes. We want them to bring their creativity. 
you know, Mike mentioned Glenn Dillon, and Glenn has been an amazing asset to the Star Wars costuming community because without breaching any NDAs or anything, he will answer questions. He will really be enthusiastic about it and really loves and is it feels a, a sense of accomplishment by the fact that people want to make these things that he, you know, created on really from a drawing. That's really where he came from was, you know, drawing comics and whatnot. How about Cad Bane, though? Sorry to press you. How, how the hell do you certify a Cad Bane mask? <laughs> well, it's hard. It's, I mean, at the end of the day, there's a number of makers that have made uh, Duros, which is the a species, correct, I think, mm-hmm. masks. However, this new live action version has a very different face because it was made for a practical actor uh, to have articulation in the mouth and whatnot. So... I mean, at the end of the day, it's as accurate as, you know, there's there's something I like to say, make it look like the picture, you know, make it yeah. look like what you see. Um, and we're going to have, and, and that's the thing, we're going to have makers. We already have makers that are that are making this mask and are starting to mold it. And it'll be pretty dang close. And other than that, you know, you, you've got uh, the animated versions that they're already CRLs for, you know, that obviously people can go for that version as well. But no, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to be easy, but on the other hand, you're going to get a lot of people that are going to give it a good go. And most of them, you know, it's almost like horseshoes. You're going to get really close. And at at some point you're going to make a judgment call and, and we'll go from there. That sounds, uh, you just really eased the tension, just easing the tension, baby. You, uh, (laughs) because my job, any mask like that just seems like the most daunting thing possible. It just, God, it's terrifying to me. I mean, without without getting into, you know, names of certain makers, because that's something we do stay away from is endorsing, you know, a particular maker. But there are so many amazing makers that have made these latex representations of what you see on screen from Emperor Palpatine to uh, Plo Koon, you know, all these characters that had some sort of a, a mask. There are a couple of makers out there that they just get it right. Yeah. And they're amazing. The wait lists are long, but it's worth it. Um, they're not cheap either, but you know, it's just artistry. It's just real artistry and someone will get this one right too. And, and that'll be that. All right. Well, let's wrap it up here. Unless, uh, Mike, you have anything to add? No, I, I think, I think that's, that's such a great way to, to look at it is, is the artistry because there's so many different factors of, and this is kind of why I started armor party. The podcast on the, on the thank the maker network is because, I, I was just blown away with how talented some of these people are. And some of them just hobbyists, like just got really into it as a side hustle. And they're all of a sudden making amazing looking masks and armor right out of their garage. And when I first got into the hobby, I was like, has every single person who's been in the 501st Legion, like also worked at a body shop? Like, how do mm-hmm. you guys do this? Like, this yeah. is insane, you know? And what I think is really amazing about it too is the amount of people that we have in all these different living situations, the fact that, you know, Justin is over in New Jersey and there are people who are Legion members that are in apartment buildings. And I had a conversation with, with, uh, with someone named Jen Markham. She's a great customer. Um, you know, she talks about like, Oh yeah, here's, I go out on my deck in New York and I have to like stain some, you know, leather work because you're not allowed to have spray paint in the city of New York. And it's like where there is a desire to be a nerd that will always find a way to be a part of your life. And you can have a huge pole barn in wherever Nebraska you are that you can cut plastic up and 
build all the stuff you want all night long. And then you have people in Southern California in a 800 square foot house that build costumes like crazy. So there literally is a will for all of the nerddom to come out. And the community is really small in that way because it allows for people to connect and say, hey, this is my situation. Would anybody be able to trim? You know, could I buy a trimmed kit because I, you know, I live in an apartment. I need some help with this. And you're always going to find someone who's like, hey, let me see how I can work with you. Because we all know that once you put on that armor, you are like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. (laughs) So Nick can probably attest to that because he did it. Uh, Nick, Nick, how did yeah? How did you feel the first time you did this? It's it's an amazing thing. I was so I mean, happy to see it. Yeah, I mean, it's so great. You do really feel like uh, you know that it's gonna look good and you're gonna feel cool when it's on. Being that it was my first time, you know, like I definitely want to make and have already made some like alterations as far as comfort goes, but. It's amazing. I, I do now understand needing a handler, especially for a Mandalorian costume, because there's so much that happens on the backside of you that you can't really attach or adjust or anything like that. So that that's the only thing, again, going back to uh, me hating any inconvenience. I hate bothering people. So like when we were on the Star Cruise and I had to have Mike like knock on the door, I'm like, Mike, could you put my jetpack on, please? You know, like <laughs> I hate inconveniencing people and i don't ever want to be inconvenienced so i was happy to do it nick i was I happy to pull I mean, your straps baby yeah that's part of the i guess that's part of what you sign up for right but uh no i mean it was amazing and uh yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to not only putting all that back on again but then you know figuring out what's next i can't wait to see where it as well yeah. and uh and go into full i think you should leave mode and just <laughs> too much shit on me <laughs> We're doing that. We're creating that in celebration for sure. 100%. Wait, should I get the mask? You should definitely get the mask. I should get that guy's mask. Yes, you should. You put that on under the helmet. So when you take off the helmet... I forget his name. I don't even want to be around anymore. (laughs) All right. Um, Justin, thank you for being here. This has been informative and inspiring. So pumped. You know, I just want to say, listen, this is the 25th year, 25th year of uh, the 501st Legion. Started by an amazing guy, Alvin Johnson, back at a premiere of one of those special edition movies. And, you know, to see it come this far as a worldwide organization raising tens and tens of thousands of dollars worth of charity every year. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's become an incredible community. And my first and only real shout out on this entire episode is I want to shout out to those folks that are like three digit TK IDs and four digit TK IDs because those held this up way before it was cool and acceptable to be a cosplayer. So thank you, all of you guys that that really held that torch for all of us that are hopefully going to carry it forward for you for the rest of time. Beautiful. Well, if folks want to follow you or they want to go get directly involved, they want to uh, maybe get started with a costume, tell the folks where to go on social media and what websites to visit to get started. Yeah. Uh, so for the 501st Legion, official 501st on Instagram, uh, Twitter, everything, I believe. You can definitely find the 501st on Facebook. You will also find uh, your local 501st garrisons on, on all of the socials as well. 
for me, I'm just at Sonfield on Instagram and always feel free to come drop me a line, say hi. I'm, I love building costumes and I love helping new people to the Legion build costumes. So never feel like you can't reach out and give me a ring. Straight to the top, straight to the Legion commanding officer, elect Justin Sonfield. Boom. All right. We should also mention that we are in the middle of a four week little contest giveaway right now, the Star Cruiser giveaway that we're doing with uh, Mike Forster right here with Armor Party, with Princess and Scoundrel, and with the Dano channel. We're giving away some awesome stuff, some really valuable stuff that could be sold on eBay or something for some stupid amount of money, but we're not a-holes like that. We're giving it away instead. A Galactic Star Cruiser Legacy training lightsaber and a blade, kyber crystals from Crafted Cores, pins and patches from Mubo's Droid Builders Club, and uh, the Batu Bounty Hunt kyber holder necklace from Starware's Workshop, Ooh. smuggler prop set from PropRite, a bunch Ooh. of other stuff, little trinkets and things. It's a lot of stuff. It's good stuff. So uh, all you have to do to enter is throughout this month, listen to all four podcasts or three podcasts and one YouTube channel. There's a phrase that we'll say, and there'll be warning. You don't have to go digging through. Just listen. I think Princess and Scoundrel did the first one, right? They did. And I'm sure they said, hey, here's the phrase. Just write that down. This week, I guess, will be the Dano channel. Yep. Then probably Armor Party next week. Yep. And then we will do ours the last week of April. So you get those four phrases and email them to starcruiser, C-R-E-W-S-E-R. See what we did there? We're a crew of starcruiser <laughs> nice. doors at gmail.com. Uh, your name, your mailing address, and so on. Send that with the four phrases, and we will announce the winner on May the 4th. Uh, like, I feel like such a real podcast, such a real network <laughs> of podcasts, giving away stuff. We need a drop, like uh, old school radio, the phrase that pays. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, do that. Get that stuff. It's an amazing bundle of stuff. And if you want to follow this podcast on social media, it's at ThankTheMakerPod on Instagram and TikTok. And it's at ThankTheMaker on Twitter. My stuff is all at Adam the Skull. All my social media is at Nick Bayside and episode number 41. Hey, that's how old I am. Uh, of the Radio Radio Show is out right now. And I'm playing pretty cool tunes from bands like Dead and uh, what else do we got here? I'm actually reading my own podcast right now. Snail Mail. I saw Bad Religion last week three times. So I talk about that a bunch. A band called Spice. Joyce Manor. Come listen to me talk about all these bands. Music. Mike? You can find me on, well, if, let's, let's do this. If you are interested enough in costuming, if this has sparked your interest, on my podcast, this is Mike talking, in case you haven't figured out who Batman in the room is, uh, is uh, Armor Party. It's a show completely about costuming, and I talk to a lot of people who actually develop and, and physically make some of these, these really cool costumes that you see. So check us out on Armor Party, and you can also find my other side gig at Hondo Supply, Hey, we've got a party we got to promote, too, that's almost sold out. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cannot yeah. wait. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's called Mosh Isley. Shout out to Mike for nailing it with that name. It's, a th you know, think emo night, Star Wars themed. That's what's happening. No one's playing. We're not going to be performing with instruments, just so everyone knows. Some people had that misconception. It's it's a party. We're, we're spinning. We're not spinning anything. It's, you know, these are MP3s. The room's going to be spinning with all the beer we drink. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll be playing music from a computer through speakers and hanging out and drinking alcohol and blue milk and wearing Star Wars costumes and taking pictures and just raging 
It is Saturday, the 28th of May. That is um, right in the heat of Star Wars Celebration. It's a chain reaction in Anaheim. Uh, like Mike said, it's almost sold out. It might be sold out by the time this this episode goes up. Yeah, we're we're not uh, just saying that. There are under 100 tickets left. Everyone is very excited about this, as they should be. It's going to be a great time. So check out any of our social media accounts for information there. I think the link is in everyone's bio right now. So go there, check it out. Uh, patrons, thanks for hanging out with us. Patreon.com slash ThinkTheMakerPod is where you can go if you want to support this podcast, hang out with us here, get access to the Discord server, and so on. And I think that's it. So everyone, thanks again, and until next week, may the Force be with you.